uh, we are in chapter 39, the fifth verse. But I wanted us to realize we're ending up in the book of Exodus. And I want to be sure that you have one of these outlines for the book of Exodus. It's very important to see this outline, and it has the, um, the giving of the law, and then all the feasts and the tabernacle, this last page, about the materials and the ark and, and all of these things that are in the tabernacle and the wilderness. Actually, Exodus is, is the starting out Moses paving the children of Israel out of slavery, and then their journey to Mount Sinai in Arabia, not the one in the Sinai Peninsula, but the one in Arabia. And they're there building the tabernacle for a year. It takes a long time to build. So we're coming to the end of Exodus where God goes over this thing. And it must be so important because he keeps repeating and repeating about the garments for the high priest and the garments for the priest and about all of this. So we saw last week that he repeats again the altar of bird offering. And um, what I wanted to say as I was listening to the CDs of the Bible, it occurred to me that none of this is new. None of this that was in the law is anything new. Uh, I just marked a couple places in the Old Testament. Genesis chapter 8, before we even start, turn back to Genesis 8 for just a second. After the flood, the ark stopped on Mount Ararat, and verse 20 says, And then Noah built an altar to the Lord, and took of every clean animal. See, he knew what animals were clean. That means pure in relation to God. And I have a paper here about clean and unclean. If you don't have it for your notes, take one of these, because it's very important that God makes a difference. The clean in relation to God are pure. It represents a believer. And the unclean represents the unbeliever. And so when you come to the law, it would tell you that if you have these animals are clean or unclean, well, no one knew about it. He said um, he took of every clean animal and of every clean bird and offered what? Bird offerings on the altar. So that wasn't new that we're going to see in Leviticus about the offerings. First of all, they had to have the place of meeting, and that's the tabernacle. And then they have an access. What access do you have to God? If you have this place of meeting, you have to have a high priest. The, the priesthood is, is instituted. And all of this, everything, pictures Jesus Christ. He is the beginning and everything. He's our high priest, and that's what we read in the book of Hebrews. Yeah, he's a priest after the order of Melchizedek. And so all of these things were known way back, burnt offerings on the altar. And the Lord smelled a soothing aroma. Why? Because it was blood. And we know that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. We know that probably the lamb that God sacrificed to clothe Adam and Eve was sacrificed on a burnt offering that God did. And they made coats of leather, but it doesn't say that. This is the first mention of a burnt offering. But God knew, and everybody knew back then, uh, everything about what was clean and what was unclean. Then the next place is in Genesis 22. Turn there just a minute before we start. I want you to see this. Um, when Abraham is tested in offering up his son, God tested Abraham and said, Take your son, 
your only son, Isaac, the son Isaac, whom you love, verse 2 of chapter 22. Now, see, he had another son, didn't he? But in God's eyes, this was the one son, and it was to picture God's only son, Jesus. Take your son, your only son that you love, and go to the land of Moriah, that would be Israel, that would be which now Jerusalem, and offer him there as a what? A burnt offering. So Abraham knew about burnt offering. 200 years before, more than that, before Moses got the Ten Commandments. It was just written down in stone what they already knew all the way through the Old Testament. How did they know all this? Well, in Bollinger's book, it's so wonderful. As he said, for 2,500 years, there was no written record. How did they know all that we know today from the Gospel and the stars? And now turn with me, before we start, to the 19th Psalm. And I'll show you how this works. First, he tells us through nature, and then through the word. Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament, the stretched out place, shows his handiwork. We're all day unto day utter speech. So in the firmament, the sun, the moon, the stars, and everything, the firmament shows his handiwork. Day unto day utter speech, and night unto night reveals knowledge. There's no speech or language. Their voice is not heard. The word where is not in the original. Their voice is not heard. Yet their line or their teaching has gone out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. So nature has told about all the things we need to know. And then he goes on, in the firmament, he has set a tabernacle for the sun. So we're used to tabernacle, it's a tent for the sun, this firmament that we have here, a tabernacle for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber and rejoices like a strong man to run its race. So the sun, it's rising, going forth is from one end of heaven and its circus or his circuit goes to the other end and there's nothing hid from its heat, the sun. And when you see a rainbow, we don't see it, we just see part of it but it's going around the earth. But we don't see it all, but God sees it all. And he put the rainbow there as a sign that he'd never flood the earth again. So the sun has a circuit from one end of heaven to the other, and there's nothing hidden from its heat. Now that's the end about the creation, which Paul says that all creation tells about the Lord Jesus Christ and about God. And creation is a witness to the Lord. But then not only creation, but the law, then the law of the Lord. So that it's in the heavens first, and then it's in the book next. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes and precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. We're seeing all of that, and people say, well, what a cruel God we have. They say the law is cruel. God says, my judgments are just and righteous and pure. They're true. More they're to be desired than gold. Yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by the law, by the Bible, your servant is warned. So you and I are warned from the things that we read and the things we learn by type and shadow because Paul said, Everything written in the Old Testament is for our example. 
on whom the ends of the ages have come. So it's our example book. That's why we look for Jesus on every page. I remember in the Pilgrim Bible, it said, look for Jesus on every page and you'll find him. Because that's the book is about him. So moreover, by them, by the law, by the Bible, is your servant warned. And in keeping them, there is great reward. Who can understand his errors? Like the planets and the wandering stars. Who can understand it all? We can't. Uh, cleanse me from secret faults. Keep back your servant from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and be innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. That'd be a wonderful psalm for each of us to memorize, wouldn't it? But what is it in the heavens? Now, do you all have your picture someplace in your Bible of the gospel and the stars? Because it's in the heavens, and this is how Adam and Eve knew. The names of these stars, these star pictures, I want you to see that between Leo and Virgo is a sphinx in the ancient planisphere. So we know where to start reading in a circle. Where do you start reading a circle? Well, you start with Virgo, where the head of the woman and the body of a lion. And I was just reading another note, and I had it about the cherubim. Did I give you that note? Yeah. That many people think that the cherubim that guarded God's throne had, just like the head of a woman and the body of a lion, some place, or the face of a lion and the face of a woman, uh, that showed all of these same things in the cherubim. They guarded God's throne. Adam and Eve, they knew that someday a Redeemer would come from the Virgo. Do you all have Virgo here, down here, and in this circle? And in her hand is a branch. Well, he's called the branch three times in the book of Nehemiah and, and all through the Bible. He's called the branch of God, not Nehemiah, but Zechariah. And so you read the, the story here that a virgin is sometime going to bear a son. Here's a picture of a woman with a baby in her lap. But at the head of the top is a lion with his tail toward her head. And that's the end of it. And so the whole story of what God is going to do in creation is starts with a promise that the seed will come. And again, in Genesis 12, he said the seed will come from Abraham's family. That's the story of Jesus all through the Bible the blood seed of Jesus and the family of Jesus. And so all through the Bible is the story of bringing the Messiah into the world and someday he's going to bring him back to be the ruler, the lion of the tribe of Judah. So we're seeing, well, how did Judah get to be so prominent? Well, we're finding all of that in Genesis and Exodus about Judah and Levi and all of these things we find out. So all of these signs... Notice the longest one in the heavens. And, and you understand them by the names. And so we're going to see when the Levitical offerings come, do you see the bull? Here he is at the very top. This is Taurus the bull. You see him with his horns there. And many persons that know about this think that this is the center of the universe, Taurus the bull. But his names in the horns are the wounded one, who will come, the governor, the leader who's going to come. Well, it's all the same thing, the Savior that will someday come. And it's just beautiful to see this. And that's all in the names of this one up here. But the longest one is this snake. You see why we don't like snakes? Because he's the one that tempted Eve in the first place and got her to sin. 
well, her own free will did it, of course, but she did sin and got her husband to sin. So this one, uh, you see the raven eating him up? That's going to be the end of Satan. This represents Draco, the dragon. And there's a lot about the dragon and the scorpion. Wherever you see all of this stuff. And here's the altar of fire heading down toward hell down here. All of this, they knew that there was a heaven and a hell. They knew there was a way of salvation and a way of approach to God through the blood and of the innocent substitute. And they knew all of this, but when he comes to Exodus, he writes it down on these tables of stone. You see, the raven is, the birds of the air are going to get rid of him. He's going to die someday. But this right below Virgo is, I have to just say this, is this two-natured creature the man's head and the horse's body, the centaur. And that's what Jesus is. He's God and man, and we see that in the table of showbread and all in the tabernacle. It's wood covered over with gold. Wood is his humanity. Gold is his deity. But here is another picture of the two-natured God-man. And all of this, you know, you just never can get to the bottom of it, and I certainly can't. But it's just great to study and to see all of these things. All right, now back where we're going to start today. Lord, we thank you for this time in your word. Bless it to our hearts. And uh, may we just grow as we consider these deep things from the word of God. And we don't need them today. We have the New Testament, except they shed light on much of the New Testament. Uh, they shed light on the book of Hebrews, for example, and Peter's letters and Paul's letters. This is a very Jewish book. And so, Lord, we thank you for it. And we thank you for these godly men that have written about it that we can study. So, thank you in Jesus' name for each one that's come out today. Bless us in his, his wonderful name. Amen. All right, now we are the garments of Aaron. And I have that picture of the Aaron the high priest. And you might have to see that everything in the tabernacle, you can look at there. And I had a picture of the tabernacle, all the things that are in. I hope you each have one of these little things about each one of the, of the pieces of furniture, the Ark of the Covenant, the bronze label, the altar of burnt offering, the golden lampstand, the table of showbread, and the altar of incense. All of these things picture different aspects of the person and work of Jesus Christ. It's not just one thing. One thing it would be enough to convince me, but he, all these things... Brass in the Bible always speaks of judgment, and that's where the animal was slain on the brass judgment seat. But the Ark of the Covenant is in the Holy of Holies, and that represents God's throne, the most sacred of all the furniture in the tabernacle. Here the Hebrews kept a copy of the Ten Commandments, which summarized the whole covenant, or contract that God had with them. Then the altar of burnt offering was the first thing they met out here in the outer courtyard with horns on it that they would tie the animal down and kill the animal there. And the blood would be shed on the, or poured on the floor of the sand. It would sink into the sand. Then they go these things inside the tabernacle, the golden lampstand, which the price of it, Dr. Ryrie says, is just unheard of. It's solid gold, probably worth a billion dollars today. And the table of showbread is made of hard desert wood, acacia wood, which somebody was telling me as I read, it's a beautiful tree, a desert tree. 
not only beautiful, but almost indestructible. It was just a wonderful wood. And so that pictures Jesus and his humanity covered over with gold, which picks a deity. And all the colors that are used all through the tabernacle and all in the hangings and the curtains and on the high priest, these same colors. If you were going to go and worship the Lord, you come in this first gate, the whosoever will door. Only one way. Now, some people think there are several ways. Oh, all roads lead to God. All roads lead to him. No, there's one name under heaven given among men whereby you must be saved, and that's Jesus Christ. Only Jesus. And so you come through this gate here, and anybody could come anytime they wanted to, and it had the same colors. A purple represent that he's the king, he's royalty. Blue, he came from heaven. White, he's pure and perfect. And red, his blood was shed for our sin. Those are the colors, except white isn't the color, but those are the colors and the white in, in everything in the tabernacle. So they would come in, they would bring their ox or their sheep or their goat, and the priest would be standing there, and the offerer would put his hand on the head of the goat, identifying with it, and then the offerer would kill. I'm so thankful we don't have to do this. I couldn't do it. Say it's a pet animal. Say that I had to sacrifice Tom, although he's unclean. He's an unclean animal. Dogs were not clean. It'd be hard as a little lamb. Well, it'd be very hard, but that shows the exceeding sinfulness of sin in God's sight. How he hates sin and how sin has to be paid for and sin has to be covered over some way. And he thought of the way that he himself would become the sin offering. And so we have that picture of the offer, identifying with the animal, then killing the animal. Then the priest would cut it up in different parts. Some would be for the priest to eat. They would kill it here. Then the next thing, they'd be dirty, they'd be bloody. So this would be the labor of cleansing where they washed their hands. And I think it had a place for their feet to be washed too. And in Solomon's temple, it was absolutely as big as a swimming pool. It was huge. And it, in Solomon's time, sat on the back of four huge bulls. Only the priests could go into the holy place through that gate. It's pure white linen with the same colors embroidered on it. But this is what Moses was instructed <coughs> to build at Mount Sinai. And he said, I want you to build it exactly like the pattern that's in the heaven. From some in the heavens, God has a tabernacle just like this. And you find it in the book of Revelation, the last book, that there is a, an altar of incense, and you've been telling how it's all the colors picture Jesus, the red that his blood would be shed for our sins, the blue that he came from heaven, the purple that he's royalty, and the white his purity. And so anybody could come in if they had to have a proper offering. They would bring their animal sacrifice, put their hand, identify with it, and kill the animal, terrible, often. But then they would burn it, the whole burnt offering, the whole animal would be burned up. And that was the first and most important one that we read about that Noah knew about before it was in the Law of Moses. Because when Noah came out of the flood, he had a burnt offering of clean animals, clean and, and unclean in the Bible. Now, see, a donkey was unclean, a dog was unclean. But a goat, a bullock, a sheep is clean. 
So God tells we're to the clean animals in relation to him. And so the, in relation to sacrifice, they would bring a clean animal, sacrifice it, then the priest would minister in the holy place. And then here are the pictures of the furniture items in there. And so now we are in the 39th chapter of Exodus. We're finishing it. He's on the garments of the high priest, which is this one that looks a mess, but he's old. <laughs> and they were old, these high priests. So in the 39th chapter, we come to the garments for Aaron. Aaron was Moses' brother. He was three years older than Moses, and he was the high priest. And of the blue and purple and scarlet thread, they made garments of ministry for ministering in the holy place and made the holy garments for Aaron as the Lord had commanded Moses. Now, they're coming to this time of the Feast of Atonement. They've had that. Just last week was the Feast of Atonement for the Jews. And only the high priest could go into the Holy of Holies, point to it for the Holy of Holies, once a year, not without blood, and for himself and for the people. And he would sprinkle a beautiful golden altar with blood and his own garments with blood. But see, it's just that without the shedding of blood, there has to be a covering for sin because sin is so hateful in God's eyes. And so he made a way that a substitute could die in my place, in your place. And in the Old Testament, it was an animal until the real substitute would come, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's the substitute for you and for me. If you believe in him as your Savior, you're saved. And God sees you in Jesus. You're either in Jesus or out of him. You're in Christ or out of him. And so when you believe in him, you share all that he has and is, including his election, his destiny that takes care of predestination. And they write books about it, but it's that simple. It takes care of predestination. He has a destiny plan, and that's heaven for us who believe in Jesus. We are set apart. We are redeemed. All these things. Some have said there are 28 things happen to you when you believe in Jesus. You find out about them later if you're reading the Bible. But so. The holy place, he made the garments for Aaron as the Lord had commanded Moses. He made the ephod of gold and purple and blue and scarlet thread of fine linen. Here's the picture of the high priest. The high priest had shoulder straps. Look at exactly on the picture. The ephod of gold and blue and purple and scarlet thread of fine linen thread. And they beat the gold into thin sheets. This is what I can't. How did they do this? They beat the gold in the thin sheets and cut it into threads to work it in with the blue and purple and scarlet and fine linen thread into artistic designs. They made shoulder straps for it to couple it together. It was coupled together at its two edges. And the intricately woven band of his effort that was on it was of the same workmanship, woven of gold and blue and purple and scarlet thread and fine linen thread as the Lord had commanded Moses. And they set onyx stones enclosed in settings of gold. They were engraved as signets are engraved with the names of the sons of Israel. He put them on the shoulders, see the two onyx stones on the shoulders of the high priest, that they should be stones for a memorial for the sons of Israel as the Lord has commanded Moses. So he carried them as, so to speak, on his shoulder. He carries it on. And what does he have over his heart? 
And he made the breastplate artistically woven like the workmanship of the ephod of gold and blue and purple and scarlet thread and fine linen thread. They made a breastplate square by doubling it, a span. This is like a muff with its length and its span, its width when doubled so that you would reach in. And they set in it four rows of stones on the outside. A row with a sardius, a topaz, an emerald was the first row. The second row a turquoise, sapphire, diamond. Third row a jacinth, an agate, and an amethyst. The fourth row a beryl, an onyx, and a jasper. They were enclosed in settings of gold in their mounting. You can imagine how glorious this fellow was. And here they were in the desert for 40 years, but this glorious building they had, and it showed the glory of their God right in their midst, even though they were tenting. But up in heaven, there's a real thing. And when we come to Solomon's temple, he really made it gorgeous. Uh, he went all out, as we've studied kings, about Solomon finishing the temple. And one of the beautiful prayers in the Bible, Solomon on his knees, with his hands up, raising his hands, praising the Lord, and this wonderful prayer about dedicating this temple that he built. And it was something so wonderful. In the front were two pillars that were empty. And I learned this from Dr. Unger. They were called crescents, C-R-E-S-C-E-N-S. They were empty fire pillars at the entrance of the tabernacle, filled with olive oil and shooting out this intense bright light all over Jerusalem. You can imagine how beautiful that was, this building beautiful, and then these gorgeous things with embroidered like this, embroidered with gold and everything. And uh, it was very impressive. And that's what the Babylonians thought. And they said, well, we'll take this when we come and take you captive. And they did. They took it all to Babylon and Israel. Turned away from the Lord. The Lord sent enemies. But Cyrus the Persian said, you can take all this back. The Babylonians took it to Babylon. The Persians said, okay, you can take it back, and you can go back yourself. But that's the Old Testament. It's just full of wonderful stories, besides being a teaching method for us. So he made the breastplate with all of his stones in it. There were 12 stones, according to the names of the sons of Israel. And probably each one of the tribes had a special stone that they knew what that stone was. Well, now, when you read about special stones in Revelation, a white stone, a dark stone, but a new name, I bet we have a certain stone as appointed for you, for you, for you, for each one of us. There were 12 stones according to the names of the sons of Israel, according to their names, engraved like a signet, each one with his own name according to the 12 tribes. And they made chains for the breastplate at the end, like braided cords of pure gold. They also made two settings of gold and two gold rings and put the two rings on the two ends of the breastplate. And they put the two braided chains of gold and the two rings on the ends of the breastplate. The two ends of the two braided chains they fastened, you could look at this in the picture, in two settings and put them on the shoulder straps of the ephod at the front. They made two rings of gold, put them on the two ends of the breastplate, on the edge of it, which was on the inward side of the ephod. They made two other gold rings and put them on the two shoulder straps underneath the ephod toward its front, right at the seam, above the intricately woven band 
of the ephod, and they bound the breastplate by means of its rings to the rings of the ephod with a blue cord within that sewing machine, so that it would be above the intricately woven band of the ephod, and that the breastplate would not come loose from the ephod as the Lord had commanded Moses. He made the robe of the ephod of woven work, all of blue, and there was an opening in the middle of the robe like the opening of a coat of mail, with a woven binding all around the opening so that it wouldn't tear. They made on the hem of the robe pomegranates of blue and purple and scarlet and fine linen thread. And they made bells, so he has the pomegranate and a bell, a pomegranate and a bell, a pomegranate and a bell. And one of the writers, Mount, says that probably that the pomegranate was the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, not an apple. It announced that you're a sinner, the fall, but the bell would announce it. And so if the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies, they knew he was alive because the bells would sound. They tied a rope on him in case he died in there because nobody but the high priest could go in there in the Holy of Holies without dying. And they would be able to pull him out without going in. So anyway, it's all God's holiness. We don't like to hear much about holiness these days, but God says, be ye holy, for I am holy. He tells us to be. So these pomegranates of blue, purple, scarlet, and fine linen, they made bells of pure gold, put the bells between the pomegranates on the hem of the robe, all around between the pomegranates, a bell and a pomegranate, a bell and a pomegranate, all around the hem of the robe to minister in as the Lord had commanded Moses. They made tunics artistically woven of fine linen for Aaron and his son, a turban of fine linen, exquisite hats of fine linen, short trousers of fine linen, and a sash of fine linen and blue and purple scarlet thread woven as the Lord had commanded Moses. Then they made the plate of the holy crown of pure gold and wrote on it an inscription like the engraving of a signet, holiness to the Lord. He had it on the front of his cap with a golden plate, holiness to the Lord. And they tied to it a blue cord to fasten it above on the turban as the Lord had commanded Moses. Thus all the work of the tabernacle of the tent of meeting was finished, and the children of Israel did according to all that the Lord had commanded Moses, so they did. And they brought the tabernacle to Moses, the tent and all its furnishing, its clasps, its boards, its bars, its pillars, and its sockets. The covering of ram skins dyed red, and the covering of badger skins, or corpus leather, and the veil of the covering, the ark of the testimony with its poles and the mercy seat, the table and its utensils and the showbread, the pure lampstand with its lamps, the lamps set in order, all its utensils and the oil for light, the gold altar, the anointing oil and the sweet incense, the screen for the tabernacle door, the bronze altar, its grate of bronze, its poles and all its utensils, the labor in its base, the hangings of the court, its pillars and sockets, the screens for the court gate, its cords and pegs, all the utensils for the service of the tabernacle for the tent of meeting, and the garments of ministry to minister in the holy place, the holy garments for Aaron the priest, and his son's garments to minister as priests, according to all that the Lord had commanded Moses, so the children of Israel did all the work. Then Moses looked over all the work, and indeed they had done it as the Lord had commanded just so they had done it, and Moses blessed them. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, On the first day of the first month, which would be in March, April, you shall set up the tabernacle 
of the tent of meeting. You shall put in it the ark of the testimony and partition off the ark with the veil. You, Moses, shall bring in the table of showbread, arrange the things that are to be set in order on it, and you shall bring in the lampstand and light its lamp. You shall also set the altar of gold for the incense before the ark of testimony and put up the screen for the door of the tabernacle. Then you shall set the altar of the burnt offering before the door of the tabernacle of the tent of meeting. And you shall set the labor between the tabernacle of meeting and the altar and put water in it. And you shall set up the court all around and hang up the screen on this court all the way around it. And you shall take the anointing oil and anoint the tabernacle and all that's in it. And you shall hallow it and all its utensils and it shall be holy. You shall anoint the altar of the burnt offering and all its utensils and sanctify the altar. The altar shall be most holy. And you shall anoint the labor in its base and sanctify it. Then you shall bring Aaron and his sons to the door of the tabernacle of meeting. Wash them with water. Then you put the holy garment on Aaron, all these beautiful things on him, and anoint him and sanctify him that he may minister to me as priest. So they would put the anointing oil, drip it over this beautiful stuff, and then blood also. But that's the way God told them to do it. And so you shall bring the sons of Aaron and clothe them in tunics. You shall anoint them as you anointed their father, that they may minister to me as priests. For their anointing shall surely be an everlasting priesthood throughout their generation. Thus Moses did according to all that the Lord had commanded him. So he did. And it came to pass in the first month of the second year, on the first day of the month, that the tabernacle was raised up. So exactly one year later from when they started. So Moses raised up the tabernacle, fastened its sockets, set up its boards, put in its bars, raised up its pillars. He spread out the tent over the tabernacle, put the covering of the tent on top of it, as the Lord had commanded Moses. He took the testimony and put it in the ark and inserted the poles through the ring. The testimony would be the Ten Commandments on stone. And put the mercy seat, which is the lid over the ark, on the top of the ark. And it's, it's the atonement seat is what it's called. And the same word is used where Moses atoned the ark that he built with pitch. He covered it with pitch. Well, this one is covered over by, it's called the mercy seat or atonement seat. And he brought the ark into the tabernacle, hung up the veil of the covering, and partitioned off the ark of the testimony as the Lord had commanded Moses. He put the table in the tabernacle of meeting on the north side of the tabernacle, outside the veil. And he set the bread in order upon it before the Lord as the Lord had commanded Moses. He put the lampstand in the tabernacle of meeting across from the table on the south side of the tabernacle. And he lit the lamps before the Lord as the Lord had commanded Moses. He put the gold altar in the tabernacle of meeting in front of the veil. And he burned sweet incense on it. And if you read in Hebrews, you wonder, because it says behind the veil. But they say the answer for that is that in the New Testament, that they would bring behind the veil on the Day of Atonement a censer full of the coals behind it. But the altar never was behind there, but he would take a censer with coals from that behind into the holy holies. He hung the screen at the door of the tabernacle. He put the altar, a burnt offering, before the door of the tabernacle or the tent of meeting and offered upon it the burnt offering and the grain offering as the Lord had commanded Moses. He set the labor between the tabernacle of meeting and the altar and put water there for washing. And Moses, Aaron, and his son washed their hands and their feet with water from it. 
Then they went into the tabernacle of meeting, and when they came near the altar, they washed as the Lord had commanded Moses. And he raised up the court all around the tabernacle and the altar, hung up the screen of the court gate, so Moses finished the work. Then the cloud, the cloud of thought that covered them by day and covered them from the heat of the sun, the cloud covered the tabernacle of meeting, and the glory, the Shekinah glory of the Lord, filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tabernacle of meeting because the cloud of God rested above it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. When the cloud was taken up from above the tabernacle, the children of Israel went onward in their journeys. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not journey till the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was above the tabernacle by day, and fire was over it by night, in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. So this exodus is the history of God's people during the year between their deliverance from Egypt and the erection of the tabernacle at Mount Sinai. It's filled with beautiful pictures of the Lord Jesus, his moral perfection. So it's our responsibility to worship the Christ of glory and to live in the light of his holiness. But now we're going to turn over to Leviticus and start there a little bit because it goes right on. Now the Lord called to Moses and spoke to him from the tabernacle of meeting, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, Now they have a place to meet. But when any one of you brings an offering to the Lord, you shall bring your offering of the livestock, of the herd and of the flock. If his offering is a bird offering, bird sacrifice of the herd, let him offer a male without blemish. He shall offer it of his own free will at the door of the tabernacle of meeting before the Lord. Without blemish. You see how all of this pictures Jesus and when he died on the cross, the whole person died in our place and God was satisfied with the whole offering of Jesus. And that's without blemish. And he shall, the offerer, shall put his hand on the head of the burnt offering and it will be accepted on his behalf to make an atonement, a covering for him. God says, you deserve to die, Adam, and all your descendants, but I'm making a way that an innocent substitute can die in your place until my son comes and he will die. And there won't be a substitute for him. He'll die in your place. But until he comes, the animal sacrifice will cover your sin. He shall kill the bull before the Lord, and the priest's Aaron's son shall bring the blood, sprinkle the blood all around on the altar that's by the door of the tabernacle of meeting. And he shall skin the burnt offering, cut it in pieces. The sons of Aaron, the priest, shall put fire on the altar, lay the wood in order on the fire. Then the priest's Aaron's sons shall lay the parts, the head and the fat, in order on the wood that's on the fire upon the altar. But he shall wash its entrails and legs with water, and the priest shall burn all on the altar as a burnt sacrifice, an offering made by fire, a sweet aroma to the Lord. And if his offering is of the flock, of the sheep, of the goats, as a burnt sacrifice, he shall bring a male without blemish. He shall kill it on the north side of the altar before the Lord. You see how specific God is? The north side. I probably just go any old side. No, the north side. So he's very specific about all of this. The north side of the altar before the Lord. The priest, Aaron's son, shall sprinkle its blood all around on the altar, and he shall cut it into its pieces with his head and its fat, and the priest shall lay them in order on the wood 
that is on the fire upon the altar. But he shall wash the entrails and the legs with water. The priest shall bring it all, burn it on the altar. It's a burnt sacrifice, an offering made by fire, a sweet aroma to the Lord. And this is the burnt sacrifice of his offering of the Lord is birds, if he's a very poor person, then he shall bring his offering of turtle doves or young pigeons. And in Luke chapter 2, that's what Mary brought for Jesus. They were poor. The priest shall bring it to the altar, wring off its head, burn it on the altar. Its blood shall be drained out of the side of the altar. And he shall remove its crop with its feathers, cast it beside the altar on the east side of the place for the ashes. Then he shall split it at his wing but not divide it completely. And the priest shall burn it on the altar, on the wood that's on the fire. It's a burnt sacrifice, an offering made by fire, a sweet aroma to the Lord. Now, I want you to pick this page up here, this introduction to the book of Leviticus. This is Dr. Ryrie. The language of the sacrifice pervades the book with the word sacrifice, occurring 42 times. Priest is found 180 times. Blood, 86 times. Holy, 87 times. Atonement, 45 times. The regulations emphasize holiness of body as well as of spirit. The New Testament refers to Leviticus about 90 times. Because if we need to know what's in this book, if it's 90 times in the New Testament, the book of Exodus concludes with the erection of the tabernacle, which was constructed according to the pattern God gave to Moses. How was Israel to use the tabernacle? What were they to do with this building that he built? Now, this is what's answered. The instructions in Leviticus answer that question and were given to Moses during the month and 20 days between the setting of the tabernacle and the departure of the people from Sinai. The book may be viewed in three complementary ways. It's a book about the holiness of God and his requirements for fellowship with himself. Thus, it's also a book that reveals the sinfulness of man. It may be viewed as a book about atonement, the provision of access to God for sinful man. And 1 Corinthians 10 says, Now all these things were written for our example. And Romans 15 says, Whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our example. So here we have this outline that we just looked here. The way to God is sacrifice. And we know today, we don't have to do any of this today. Thank the Lord. We just come to Jesus. The sacrifice has been made at Calvary. And we remember that at Easter time. Uh, through the offering, the way to God in the Old Testament, through the offering, there were five offerings. The bird offering, and next week we'll see the grain offering, the peace offering, the sin offering, and the trespass offering. You say, well, isn't, isn't that the sin offering? Isn't sin and trespass the same one? No. And not burnt. They're each one is a different aspect of what Jesus did when he died on the cross. The burnt offering is one thing, the grain offering, the peace offering. You know when they say, have you made your peace with God? Yes, I have. I've come with my peace offering today. I don't have to say that today because he is my peace. The sin offering, that's for root sin. Trespass offering is for daily sins that we do. And then added instructions, the burnt offering, the grain offering, the sin offering, the trespass offering, the peace offering. That takes us through the seventh chapter. So the first part, first one through seven, is the way to God through sacrifice. Then from eight and nine is through the priests. You had to have a priest. The consecration to priestly service, the inauguration of priestly service, the sacrilege of priestly service. Nadab and Abihu died, the sons of Aaron, because they were drunk. 
when they were doing this marvelous work that God wanted done. Then the third is the walk with God. See, the way to God is through sacrifice. The walk with God. How do we live our daily life? How are we to be set apart? Laws concerning purity. And so he goes all these laws in relation to food, in relation to childbirth, in relation to leprosy, and different classifications of leprosy, in relation to the body, law of the Day of Atonement, the preparations, the offerings, and instructions, laws concerning sacrifice, laws concerning standards for the people, concerning sexual relationship, concerning daily life, concerning terrible offenses, laws concerning standards for the priests, laws concerning offering, laws concerning festivals in chapter 23, and the festivals of the Sabbath, the Passover, the Feast of First Fruits, the Feast of Pentecost, Feast of Trumpets, the Day of Atonement, and the Feast of Tabernacles. So all of these things, laws concerning the oil, bread, blasphemy, laws concerning the sabbatical year. God doesn't leave a stone unturned. There's nothing that doesn't happen in the human race that isn't brought into these things. Some of it's rather touchy to even talk about, but God addresses it just like it is. Laws concerning the year of Jubilee, laws concerning obedience, and vows and tithes. And so I've just written, this is from my Bible, I've written in my Bible, we are believer priests today, and we're royalty. You may not feel like it, but they don't like royalty. We are that. We're believer priests, First Peter said. Now I've put down here at the bottom about the bull. These were the animals that they could bring for sacrifice. I want you to see from the Gospel and the Star, they knew about this from the very beginning, but the bull is up here at the top, you see that with his head, the main stars, if you want to write in there, the one means the governor, and the other one is Al North, and it's the governor who would be slain, the coming Lord slain as a sacrifice. You understand these by the names of the stars, and so in this one, the coming Lord is slain as a sacrifice, and that was one of the clean animals. Then the next Aries, the ram. And you find the ram of sacrifice there, and it's Christ our substitute. So we had to have a governor who would be slain. We had to have a substitute. So that's the picture of the ram. Then the goat of atonement. Somebody had to redeem us, and that's what the goat pictured. So all of this is pictured in the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the God-man, and Paul says he's the last Adam. He's our sin-bearer. Now we'll go on and see what Leviticus has to say. The 11th chapter, I'm going to try to bring more of what Dr. McIntosh brings out in his little book on Leviticus. But it's mentioned so many times and it's such an important book that we need to look at it, even though it's difficult. So Lord, we ask that you bless us today as we look at these things and bless our families this week. If there's somebody with a special need, Lord, you just take care of it, will you please? In Jesus' wonderful name, amen.